0: I'm Caleb Zachron, assistant editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books in Scholarly Communication. Today, I'm speaking with Ian M. Cook, editor-in-chief of Allegra Lab. We're discussing his new book, Scholarly Podcasting, Why, What, How. This book features interviews with 101 podcasting academics. It's a fantastic resource and guide for those looking to bring their educational mission to a wider audience. Ian, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network. Thank you very much for the invitation. Of course. You know, that this is a, a book where it's almost a, ex- you know written exactly for our audience and for our hosts. So, I think that this will be an interview that will be particularly useful for hosts uh and maybe you know more of like the NBN superfan type. But before jumping <laughs> into the book, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Sure. Yeah, so I'm a social anthropologist. Um really actually I'm this book was sort of an accident because really my at least the initial research interest is like urban anthropology. I did a lot of research in South India and uh, looking at you know, doing research in a smaller city called Mangaluru, looking at urban change and working a lot with door-to-door salespeople, rickshaw drivers and housing and land brokers. Um, and then after I did that, that was basically the PhD research. And after I finished that, I was, um, you know, what you do when you finish the PhD, starting to apply for jobs. And I used to be a host of uh, New Books Network. Uh, at, at new new Books Network new books in South Asian studies for from about 2015 I think 15 14 and uh, I absolutely loved it and uh then I but I started to think a little bit more seriously about how I could um yeah how I could interrogate what I was doing with podcasting and what everybody else was doing with podcasting and then so that's how sort of I took sort of a, a slight Diversion, which was just like sort of a side, a side hobby, side interest, like looking into scholarly podcasting, and then it became, uh, then it became this book. Um, so yeah, that was like a good couple of years, and the main, and the, and in the meantime, I'm I was working a lot with a wonderful program in Budapest called Olive, the Open Learning Initiative, which is a access education program for displaced people. So for mostly for refugees or asylum seekers. Um, I don't know how much everyone listening knows about Hungary, but it's a pretty difficult place for people who are displaced because of the political um, situation here. So we thought it was very important to have university access for people there as well. So that was sort of my main sort of primary job for the last four years. Uh, and then very recently I became, as you mentioned, editor-in-chief of Allegra Lab, which is an anthropology publishing platform
0: so what was the main inspiration for you for writing this book about scholarly podcasting and you know l- let's just start with a sort of overarching uh hope that you had for what readers might gain from it
1: right so i, I mean i had three big questions and you mentioned that they were the title <laughs> they were like uh like what is academic podcasting like why uh do scholars podcast uh and how and um and because i guess because i'm an anthropologist uh i always feel like uh i need to do something a bit ethnographic to answer any question so this is why i went about interviewing 101 people 101 was just the number that i stopped at it wasn't it wasn't the target um and and I wanted to find out what this about this phenomenon because more and more scholars were podcasting. I mean, New Books Network was a pioneer, but there were plenty of other people starting and trying different things, and it just keeps growing and growing. And um, whenever you see a phenomenon as a social scientist, you start to ask these questions like why, what, and how. And uh, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to. Find a way of representing the diversity of scholarly podcasting and to allow those who podcast to speak um, about what they were doing, uh, how they were doing it and why they were doing it, um, which is why the book, I mean, sometimes I say I wrote a book, but I wrote very little of the book, <laughs> you know, if you as you've read it, but most of the book is just quotes. Um, basically 90% of the material in the book is just quotations from from the people I interviewed because uh, as you might imagine scholars who make podcasts are pretty good at talking and so often they were saying things in ways that were super articulate and erudite and when I started to do the sort of regular social science thing like write around it and then you know make an argument have a quote back it up it felt really disjointed and a little bit cold. So I was like, okay, let's instead sort of curate these quotes and and create a book from which people can draw different strands of inspiration, depending on what they wanted to do with with a scholarly podcast. Because of course, as you know, there's a podcast like the one we're doing now, which is a discussion you know, based podcasts. There's ones which are more sort of um, crafted audio storytelling. There's some that are more, you know, group discussion and there's some that are more, you know, experimental and playing with sound to try and affect certain um, um, resonances with their listeners. So there's many different ways in which you can do a scholarly podcast. And of course, there's as many disciplines within the scholarly podcasting world as there is, you know, disciplines in in, uh, scholarship in general. So I wanted to have, a book that wasn't like this sort of really strong, like straight argument, which is often what we're made to do when we produce written scholarship. Instead, I wanted to have this book that you could sort of dip in and out of and try to understand from the perspective of the podcasters, what it was they're doing and why they're doing it.
0: So you mentioned that you started with uh, New Books Network in about 2015. So so you've you've been doing scholarly podcasting for quite some time. Uh, and I wonder if you could, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you've seen uh, from podcast, you know, how it's evolved and changed in that period, uh, and also just how you, where you see it like evolving in the future, um, and what role you see it as, as playing in, you know, just increasing playing in the academic community at large.
1: Yeah, unsurprisingly, as somebody who makes a podcast and as somebody who wrote a book about. Uh podcasting I think I think it's super exciting I think it's brilliant I think uh I think there is the potential to really liberate um knowledge in many different ways um there there are worries and I'll talk about the worries in a minute but before I get there maybe just to say what's what's great about it I mean I think new books network is an amazing resource let's be honest most of the books that are featured on, on different on the different um channels of new book network you will never have the time to read you know like somebody somebody could have a super interesting book about a very niche topic which i don't have two weeks to sit down and read but i do have 45 minutes or an hour to sit and listen to a conversation with someone and that's brilliant that's like really like opening up knowledge in and exposing people to knowledge that they otherwise wouldn't get um even if you're an academic you have very little time to read outside your hyper specialized field right and i'm a you know, urban anthropology, South Asia, I read stuff in that field. I don't read much of anthropology unless it's directly related to what I'm teaching or what I'm uh, working on. I don't read much of a, you know, scholarship from adjacent fields, sociology or history or whatever, if it's not directly related to what I'm working on. But I'm fascinated by, by stuff and, and, and I want to be curious. And I think a lot of curiosity is beaten out of us once we start working full-time in academia and also maybe as students, the longer you stay in university as well. So I think um, what's been really interesting to see is that it's been, and this came through for the interviews, it's been very liberating for the scholars who make podcasts because they've been like okay wow I, I I, like I'm I'm free from and this is maybe the going into a bit the fears I'm free from these academic rules and norms and structures you know you should write a journal article of this many words submit it to a journal of a certain rank so that your university can give it a certain point so you can progress a certain way in your career like if, I, if that was my sole means of uh, intellectual output I wouldn't stay in academia like I just it, for me it just seems stupid <laughs> like just completely stupid and uh but but podcasting really opens up ways different ways of interrogating ideas different ways of producing and creating knowledge and um, different ways of circulating that knowledge and um and what I've seen uh in the last in the last years is that more and more people have been inspired by it and are trying it And at the same time is some people are trying to play it or use it maybe for their personal prestige or maybe playing that same system as well and i think that's the fear that it could get pulled into the scholarly publishing machine that sort of um that that, that goes on but uh, but i still think there's a lot of hope there a lot of potential for creating something which is uh yeah genuinely transformative potentially in 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 academia and scholarship more broadly
0: How do you think academics should balance the demand for creating engaging content uh, and then also just appealing to a broader audience and doing all this while trying to maintain scholarly rigor? Yeah.
1: Well, it depends what your what your purpose is
0: with the podcast, right? If
1: your if the purpose and who your audience is. So, if your audience is other experts in the field that you're working on, then you might want something which only speaks to those scholars, and that might be something which is which doesn't have a broad appeal, and that's and that's totally fine because that's maybe you're not making a podcast to have a broad appeal. Maybe you're making a podcast to have a quick means of. You know, circulating the freshest ideas in your field with your peers, and, and that's totally fine. If you want to go broader, then you have to start to think about who your audience is, what sort of language you want to use, how much you need to explain stuff, um, and um, and and in the book, like you can see a big a big sort of a broad range. Some people really are making hyper specialized podcasts. You know about um, yeah, I say like. Environmental justice amongst the—I might get this wrong now, though—but the Swedish-speaking minority, <laughs> like in, in whatever—and uh, and other people are making a, you know, a podcast about at uh, like the Naked Scientist with Chris Smith. He's making a podcast, which, which you know, he also gets on the radio as well, you know, in in in, in the in the UK, or he also speaks on the radio and stuff. And he's making a, a super popular podcast, and then he's thinking very much about that audience. So that that really depends in terms of scholarly rigor. I think, again, it depends on who the peers are for your podcast and how you would like that to be evaluated. Um, I think we all know, any of us who published anything in academia, that um, the processes of peer review, which are meant to be put in place to protect um, rigor, often fail. They fail because people practice a certain form of cruelty through peer review, unfortunately, or they fail because it takes years to get a review, or because people just play the game and publish the same article 10 times in 10 different journals just to get points and so on and so forth. Something quite different happens with a podcast, especially when it's not really being ranked, because you uh because it just goes out there in the world. And let's say, for example, you know, like you make this podcast today and you say something which is incorrect and then you you could be like, okay, next next episode of the podcast, if it's a serialized podcast, you just issue a correction. So you know what, guys, last time I said the tallest uh, mountain in the world was Mount Blanc, but I was wrong. It's you know whatever, and then you know and get and get on with it. And it's a different way of interacting with knowledge and 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 how it's being uh, and how it's being assessed.
0: How should uh, scholars think about collaboration with researchers to create compelling podcasts? Uh, and you know, what are some of the best practices that you've seen that experts have taken uh, in the field of podcasting? Oh, that's, that's, that's a great question. So I think it has to start with respecting,
1: understanding, and working with the craft of podcasting. I mean, like the final chapter of the book is about that. It's about uh, thinking through what you have when you start to work with the medium and how you can convey those ideas so the worst thing you can do probably is print off a paper read it very quickly into a microphone and put it out there in the world (laughs) And, and like unfortunately some people make these podcasts or some people they make these very sort of awkward conversations that sound like I don't know they sound like uh, no one's really enjoying themselves, and no one really is comfortable, and that doesn't seem to suit the medium very well either. Right? I'm not sure it necessarily suits the sort of pretend conversation that you have on stage. You know, at some conferences, it certainly doesn't suit the podcasting medium. People don't seem to want to consume that sort of um, that sort of uh, content. So what it means, first of all, I would say is to have an idea which suits the medium, right? So some so for example, I I there's a there was a podcast uh, that featured a book called My Favorite Theorem, which is a maths podcast. And you would think about maths, usually it's something which is quite visual, right? They, you know, they they uh, write on blackboards or they write on bits of paper, and this is how they work stuff out. But then that's not going to work as a podcast, like that sort of stuff. But what what works as a podcast is having um, mathematicians talk about their love for certain theorems and then you get this emotional aspect there instead so you have to think okay does my idea suit podcasting if not then it's great go make a flow chart go make whatever whatever suits the medium right and then after that i would listen to a lot of podcasts then i would think about how and this is also like what i got from from speaking to people you also want to think about how to structure it you also want to because i think written um written work and um written work and uh audio work are quite different in terms of how you have to guide a listener through so a conversation like we're having now is relatively natural and people can listen to that if you had like just somebody talking you might need to have more signposts along the way to let people know where they're going like the way you've written your questions that you're asking me now we're getting a bit meta you've not written them in the same way as if you were writing a written request for somebody to ask you know you've 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 written them in a conversational style that's also something to learn as well to learn how to write for the ear and not for the eye then you need to think a little bit about I mean, I think a lot of people, I say a little bit about recording and, and, and the technical side. Uh, as you know yourself, it's not super complicated. It's rather just paying attention to some basic things, just to, to be in a quiet room, use headphones and and know where the microphone is placed and how close you should be to it. Uh, but that's still important to think about. I learned to learn a bit about editing as well, um, which is, I think, really important. So I know some podcasters don't edit, and I think you can... S- I mean, they don't edit themselves. Sometimes they uh, you know, hire a student to edit their stuff for them or whatever. But I think everyone should edit at least one or two of their own podcasts if they're doing an interview-style podcast, because then they realize how they ask questions, how they pause, how they speak, and so on. And then again, to think about your audience when you want to distribute it and, and so on. And and this sounds like quite a daunting prospect, but I would say that's the same, the same sort of things you have to follow, whatever form of scholarly media you're producing whether it's text or audio or 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 film you need to think about all of these aspects like running through the whole thing in in different in different ways
0: yeah following up on some of those things that uh you know that should be considered before starting i'm wondering you know what are some of the, the unique challenges that come with producing podcasts about academic research and scholarship are there any additional things that a person should consider before uh covering something
1: just to answer the same way I did the previous question, it's about thinking about the medium, and 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 otherwise there are things that change when you work with a public, um, yeah, a public, a publicly available piece of scholarship. If you're doing something where you're actually, for in the social sciences, for example, if you're producing a podcast when you're speaking with somebody who is a uh, interlocutor or informant or you know interviewee um, there are different ethical considerations there. sometimes I think because some of the podcasters interviewed the book made podcasts like this they were basically uh, data collection and podcasts at the same time. I think to be honest often it's a little bit more honest, than the way that social scientists usually do research because often you know you have like a ethical review board at the university and they sign off on stuff and you're meant to make people sign like that they understand what happens with their you know the data that you're gathering from them but very often that in that consent isn't properly informed because people don't really genuinely understand what happens with that like in an academic setting um certainly not if you work amongst people who are uh, illiterate or semi-literate or maybe haven't been exposed to the way you know scholars deal with data but you know a podcast especially nowadays like any form of digital media people sort of understand what happens you know so if you're interviewing somebody and you tell them listen i'm interviewing you for my research i'm also going to make a podcast out of this then people are fully aware what it means now not fully aware, I should say, people are more aware uh, than they might be of a traditional type of research of what happens to your uh, voice or if it's being filmed, the, the video, once it starts to circulate within, um, yeah, within digital media things.
0: So let's, let's uh, talk a little bit about not just, you know, doing the podcast itself, but just podcasting as a part of the broader academic setting. Uh, so how can podcasting be used as a tool for teaching and learning in the academic setting? And what are some of the best practices that you've seen for incorporating podcasts into the classroom or just any sort of educational environment?
1: Yeah, there's there's loads of options. Um, and so I've, see, I've spoken to people who have their students, and I've also done this myself, make podcasts as assignments, which is great. And there's lots of options there as well. So for example, instead of writing a term paper, you could say, okay, make a um, make a podcast on this topic and you know then they would go out they would interview somebody they would do a bit of framing around it and the student then is learning research skills interview skills time management skills they're also then having to really think carefully about the questions that they ask and that means they're really interrogating the the topics of the class in different ways and then because they're producing something public then usually they'll take it more seriously than what they would if they just wrote a an essay for their professor or lecturer and uh, that's that's one way another way is you could use it as a teacher um you can basically make podcasts on the topic of your class as a teacher as well if if you're working in a field where this fast it's fast moving I spoke to um, a scholar who works in the field of energy um and he was saying, yeah, you know, like the, the amount of time it takes for something to come out in a peer review journal, the field has moved on so fast. you know. And so, but he can interview practitioners in the field and he can share this podcast with the students. The students then can get a, get a good feeling. And of course, it's not realistic that you can bring in all these experts into the classroom. And they might not want to do that, but they might give their time for a podcast and they can sort of promote themselves or whatever. Or it's also, you know, that people like to feel that they're experts. And then this can also be another way you use it. Other people have just assigned podcasts um as listenings to go alongside readings that's super useful uh, and super great and then i also really like um um people who have decided to make collaborative podcasts with the students in their class and you know different different people take on different roles within a podcast series maybe someone's doing the research someone's doing the interviews someone's doing the editing and then you really work together with the teacher to produce something together. And it's a really powerful way of using podcasting as well. Um,
0: And I should also mention that in the back of the book, you do have a resource that kind of outlines like a potential schedule that a, that a teacher could, could use. Um, You know, in addition to that, another resource you have, you just have a list of the 101 people that you interviewed. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, some of those interviews Uh, You know, I should also note that there are uh, you you interviewed two people uh, as being directly associated with New Books Network. There's another uh, host uh, who hosts a podcast called Democracy Works, who also does some work with the New Books Network that you also interviewed. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of those interviews and, you know, what you learned, if there was any patterns that you saw or or anyone that was, uh, you know, had some ideas or suggestions that uh, you thought were really fascinating.
1: Yeah. So it was quite an eye opener for me. How many people responded? So, uh, as I mentioned, like sort of my previous research project when I was, you know, sitting on rickshaw stands in in, uh, an Indian city, like struggling to learn a language, trying to fit in with certain sort of macho culture, and like, you know, and then to slowly build up trust and get interviews. And I was imagining I might have to do something similar ish. with this project in the sense, you know, maybe reach out to people on social media, you know, start to like like some of their episodes, comment on them, build up a relationship, and then and then you know ask for interviews. But actually, what happened was, and I did listen to all of the podcasts uh, that that I that I feature in the book. But I, I sent, I started just sending out emails and putting stuff on social media, and people just said, "Hey, yeah, yeah, I'd be really happy to talk about that." And um, okay, the cynic could say, you know, <laughs> academics like talking about themselves. but no, but the actual, but I think the more interesting thing is that. Uh, is that uh, doing a podcast is quite a reflexive process. Um, so when you start to do it, you start to think about it, which is actually why I why I made the book in the end uh, because I started to think about it by doing it. Um, you know, after we've made this podcast today I imagine you're going to listen back to it and maybe cut bits out or edit stuff I don't know and then you start to then think you know what I wish I'd asked that question a different way Or you know you know it wasn't interesting that when I asked that question he didn't quite answer it um you know I wonder if and you know and you start to think like this and it's really great I think in terms of making yourself think about the processes that you that you produce and also it's like it's sort of it's also a very weird and wonderful thing when you do make a podcast and you put it out in the world and people respond to it you know which is not usually the place unless you're a super case unless you're a superstar academic you know i write a research paper it goes in a journal maybe i like tell people about it and then people might like it on facebook if i put it on facebook but no one's really you know interacting with it but people do interact with a podcast and then, i think this is also causes refle- self-reflection on the side of of, of the people i interview. so then anyway so that's all the preamble to say. I just start interviewing people, and of course, because of my networks, I got more people in certain fields. Then I started to push out to say, "Okay, I've not really got anyone in the natural sciences, so let's find a biologist, let's find a virologist," you know, and and re- and, and reach out. Um, and of course, you know, I'm limited by by language as well, and uh, and this podcast in in in, in uh, every possible language. And um, so, you know, I started to do that, and then I would basically have zoom interviews with people and this was mostly during lockdown the first lockdown so this was sort of my lockdown interview um series so you know i had uh, the family all trapped in at home and then every now and again i would just like disappear into the bedroom and then interview someone and what was how i say so so many interesting things came out but i think i would like to think uh, that most people enjoyed the process of, of of talking through these these things and and pushing them to think about stuff which was sort of bubbling away in their minds that they hadn't thought about before and uh, i used to of course it was a semi-structured interview so i had a certain you know set of questions and then and then it's this, this this developed along the way and then only when i got to the end then i started to uh started interview not only scholars who make podcasts, but scholars of podcasting, media study scholars as well, to try and think through some of these questions with them. And their interviews are also featured in the book as well, sort of as a way of doing some sort of theoretical-ish or analytical framing to the interviews themselves. Did I answer your question? Ken? Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, you know, I guess uh, I I think for, for, for podcast listeners, oftentimes they're like for me personally, I first sort of discovered podcasting. I guess probably when I was, you know, in in high school, and it mm-hmm. was this really exciting thing. Uh, one of the people you interviewed, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, which is, I think, kind of a in the history podcasting world, he's a he's a he's a bit of a legend. Uh, and it was just this really exciting way to learn about things that I didn't get to learn about in the classroom in a, in a fun and an engaging way. Especially because I had you know long bus rides to and from schools it was sort of perfect for that. So, uh, you know, with that, I'm wondering, is there, is there a particular podcast that you listen to where that sort of, you know, sent you down this path that you listen to it and you're like, yes, that's like what I want to be doing. I want to, I want to, I want a podcast because, you know, it will allow me to, uh, to do something sort of like what this person did.
1: Uh, so ooh, that's a, that's a, good question before that I just want to reflect a little bit about interviewing Dan Carlin so like of course he's a you know podcasting superstar so usually it's always difficult with time zones right but he the only time he was available was something stupid like three o'clock in the morning so I said okay like I'll interview him at three o'clock in the morning but the problem with interviewing somebody who's interviewed a lot is that he has a set stock of stories that he tells and um which is fine because you know people whatever so i i I watched a bunch of his interviews or listened to a bunch of his interviews before and then i knew he had this story about when you know his mother-in-law told him he should make a podcast or something like this and i was like oh so i was always like i know your mother-in-law told you to make a podcast but like can we and then but then he still he still told the same story and then i had to push him a bit more but um but actually if you what was interesting in terms of how he produces the podcast because he makes like five hour long podcasts right to like about whatever topic and he just goes in and records his voice like maybe just like two minutes one day 10 minutes the next day half an hour the next day you know and, and then one one time it's not working so he's someone who really thinks about the craft so i think you can learn a lot from listening to people like like him in terms of he's thinking about the craft of how it is to talk right he doesn't think of himself really as a scholar i think he's got like a master's in history so he's always a bit like oh i'm not really a historian i would say he he is he's you know a popular historian like you don't have to have a phd to be a scholar um but um but so it was a, it was interesting that for him he was fit he was always a bit like uh oh, but then he was thinking a lot about the delivery which most of us don't as scholars because we're thinking all about the content but we're working with a medium even if it's text or if it's sound, where, of course, it's key how we express our ideas. So um, so I would say in terms of like podcasters who make who sort of podcasting that's inspirational, I probably have less from the scholars <laughs> themselves, but more from stuff outside. What I would like to do and what, I, what I'm planning to do uh, if I have time over summer, I got a bunch of recordings from when I was doing ethnographic fieldwork, and I want to try and create something more like a um crafted audio story uh and let's see how it works because sometimes it's hard to find a story right to be a storyteller as well as a as well as a scholar but that's probably what i would aim for in the future yeah sorry
0: oh yeah and i was gonna say like i think that that's uh that's a great idea you know i you know audiobook the history of audiobooks audiobooks only uh you know, or in the in the current form at least, only really predate podcast by by a few years. Uh, and I've always wondered, you know, why there isn't more done. Like you said, you know, you can just go and read the book. Uh, why there isn't more done to just bring in other things like interviews or things like that to just make it even more engaging um and you know just different ways to communicate the information i think that that's really true yeah yeah totally
1: totally and and i think that's that's what's going to op- and i think the only thing that's really holding this back is the sort of the the ways in which scholars are asked to produce scholarship to get jobs get promotions and so on and so forth is is basically it's a disincentive to spend a lot of time to, it would take a lot of time to produce this sort of content um that doesn't uh I'm doing the square quotes now, count for anything, right? Because it doesn't count within the system of scholarly production. But it would take eight, I mean, this is why I've been putting it off for so long. It takes ages to produce something like that, partly because you have to learn a new skill as well. Whereas like the same way that like a student, by the time they become a PhD, could probably knock out a, a term paper quite easily if they needed to, like at the same time, the longer you stay in academia, you can write a journal article, maybe not the best journal article in the world, but you can write a journal article if you need to to, to send it somewhere or a chapter for a book. But what's the point? <laughs> Just after a while, like I, you know, so it should be, it should, we should be pushing forward, um, yeah, to try and find new ways of, of producing, of producing, yeah, scholarship. And I think there was somebody in the book uh, who was talking about exactly how if an idea can't. If if an academic text or an academic idea can't be understood by a relatively intelligent, educated person who's in a different field, then he somehow feels it has less worth because it's like, it's probably hidden behind a bunch of jargon and pretense, et cetera, and so on. You know, so like, if I'm, if I'm an anthropologist, and I'm explaining about certain things about, you know, interactions between door to door sellers and their customers, and it's, you know, these questions of caste and gender norms, and like rural, you know, urban migration, and the the symbolic role of the certain goods that are being sold, if I can't explain that to somebody in a way that they can understand it, because I have to put a bunch of, words together that hide (laughs) hide stuff that i think it's a problem and so uh, yeah so i really want to think about how like you say to use interview to think about like the effective nature of sound and how that can create um yes certain responses from listeners to try and make an argument in that sense so that's the future that's my plan that's uh that's my next six or seven months i think
0: yeah, that that sounds like a great, a great idea. You know, I also think it's so much, it's so important too, just the accessibility aspect of it, because there are so many people out there that work jobs that they don't particularly like, or they work jobs, you know, maybe they, you know, drive trucks, or they, you know, do gig work of some, some kind. And, you know, the ability to learn um, while you, while you do something else, like you can't read a book on the job, but you can listen to something. And that's, that's a major difference, you know, uh, and we've, we've, you know, NewBooksNet. we've gotten feedback from listeners who are like, this is great because it helps me, it helps me get through my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think,
1: uh, you know, founder of NewBooks Network, Marshall Poe, who's interviewed in the book, he, he talks about, I don't know if I include it in the book now or not, but when I interviewed him, he spoke about how... Yeah, he was getting feedback from like, you know, people who were like, I can't like shearing sheep in New Zealand or like, you know, or driving or doing being an electrician in, in Denmark or something. And they're like, hey, like, thanks so much for putting this out. You know, this is just great. And I think there's a certain snobbishness that sometimes people get who work in academia thinking, oh, you know. People couldn't possibly be interested in this, like, very sort of sophisticated stuff. Actually, it's, of course they are. Like, people are re- people are genuinely curious until, you know, until society beats it out of them. And, like, this is what's so interesting about podcasting is that it's actually shown that it's not just, like, people are actually really hungry and thirsty for listening to experts deep dive into a topic, which is brilliant like you know i mean isn't it great you can just like put on a podcast and listen to something you knew nothing about and hear like some of the leading people in the world talk about it for an hour like that's that's brilliant that's like absolutely amazing and that was not available to us 10 years ago like um or just about starting to become available to us 10 years ago but before that yeah it was just
0: it was hidden it was locked so yeah, it's certainly not the breadth of content that there is now or the the, the audio quality. Um well, that like, as well. <laughs> yeah, the audio like audio quality has really drastically improved the past couple of years. Like one maybe silver lining of the pandemic was that because so many people moved to work from home, everyone started to think more about what their home audio setup looked like. And that's a big, big deal. Like if you listen to some of the older New Books Network episodes, you know. Some of the hosts have good mics, but the guests, <laughs> no, not so much.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I remember one I made, I won't mention the name, but like I, it was some guy and it's like, you know, you, you know, cause you send it to people, Hey, make sure you're in a quiet room, please use headphones. Like if you have a mic, use a mic. And some guy like, yeah, I'm in a cafe. And it's just like, you're in a cafe? Yeah, and I haven't got a headphones. It's like, <laughs> like okay, great. <laughs> it's like, so I've read your book. We're going to spend now like, you know, 45 minutes talking about it. And no one's going to listen to it because all they hear is just like background clatter. So yeah, but yeah, it's got much better. People have become, yeah, I agree with you. People have become much more attentive to it. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's really funny. <laughs>
0: Um, well, Ian, thank you so much for being guest in the new books network and for, for being a, you know, a host alum, uh, you know, I think (laughs) when someone has been a host in the past for new books network, you know, we like to think of them as always being, being a part of the new books network family. Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, the book is scholarly podcasting. Why, what, how, um, and, you know, I think especially for, for any host listening or anyone who scholars out there that want to learn, this is a really great, great place to start. Um, because i think that you know there's one thing to just go and like listen to a few but but this is really tailored so if you want to know what your colleagues are doing or what they're thinking about podcasting this is a great this is a really great what great great place to go and also a great resource for teachers um so ian thank you so much
1: thank you absolute pleasure i've been making podcasts for new books network now i'm so happy to be a host uh, to be a guest <laughs> I, couldn't even, I couldn't even step out of it happy yeah. to be a guest after being a host for so long